past or I trade my shackles for a glorious song I'm free praise the Lord free at last I'm free from the guilt that I carried from that dull empty life I'm set free when I met Jesus, He made me complete. He forgot the foolish man I used to be. I'm free from the fear of tomorrow. I'm free from the guilt of the past. For I'm shackles for a glorious song I'm free praise the Lord free at last I'm free from the fear of tomorrow I'm free from the guilt of the past for I traded my shackles for a glorious song, I'm free, praise the Lord, free at last. I'm free, praise the Lord, free at last. Well, you get something in your head, you've heard it a million times, and you practice it then, but it doesn't matter. You do it the way you heard it. And uh, I messed them guys all up on that one word that one time, and then they changed it to what I did, and I didn't know what to do. So anyway, we got through it, amen? And boy, I'll tell you what, I'm glad I'm free. Amen? amen. Boy, I tell you, there's nothing like being free indeed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm glad you're here on a Father's Day. I want you to take your Bible and turn to Jeremiah. This is kind of an unusual passage probably for Father's Day, but I think it's very appropriate. And uh, I really warred with what to share on Father's Day. And uh, I just felt like uh, this would be a, a tremendous, tremendous principle and a blessing, I believe, in the long run. So look at Jeremiah chapter 35, and I want you to bear with me as we read through the chapter, okay? We're going to read through verse 19. So today, if you haven't had a chance to read your Bible, we're going to get a whole chapter in right now, all right? So uh, you might still want to read your Bible too, but at least you're going to get a chapter in for sure. Now, I don't know if you're going to hear it right, because there's a lot of names in here, so you know, uh, we'll do our best, all right? Let's go ahead and begin reading in verse 1. I'll read aloud. You read silently with me, if you would. The word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go into the house of the Rechabites, and speak unto them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jezaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, and his brethren, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igadalia, the man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, which was above the chamber of Maseai, the son of Shalom, uh, the, the keeper of the door. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites pots full of wine and cups, and I said unto them, Drink ye wine. But they said, 
We will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall not, ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. Neither shall ye build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any. But all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye be strangers. Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he hath charged us, to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in. Neither have we vineyard, nor field, nor seed, But we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come and let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will ye not receive instruction to hearken to my words, saith the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For unto this day they drink none, but obey their father's commandment. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, raising early and speaking, or excuse me, rising early and speaking. But ye hearken not unto me. I have sent also unto you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Return ye now every man from his evil way, and amend your doings, and go not after other gods to serve them. And ye shall dwell in the land which I have given to you and to your fathers. But ye have not inclined your ear, nor hearkened unto me. Because the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them. But this people have not hearkened unto me, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the evil that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken unto them, but they have not heard, and I have called unto them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he hath commanded you. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not want a man to stand before me forever. The Rechabites were a clan of nomadic people who were extremely loyal to their ancestors, including Jonadab who they looked to and pointed to as their father. He had commanded them not to live in houses, nor to have farms or vineyards, not to drink any wine. They were related to Moses' father-in-law. We see that back in the book of Judges. And for over 250 years, almost 300 years, they had remained a very separated clan in the nation. They had not kind of gotten involved in the cities. They had been a nomadic people, and they had remained outside of those cities, and so they were a separatist group. God didn't ask Jeremiah to serve the Rechabites' wine because it could sound a little fishy here. He didn't tell them to serve the Rechabites' wine in order to tempt them because we know that God never tempts us with evil. But it was done to make a point. Jeremiah would take this opportunity now to tell the leaders of Judah how unfaithful they had been toward God's covenant. 
See, the message to the nation was clear. If the command of a mere man, a mere man by the name of Jonadab, was respected and obeyed by his family for over two centuries now, why in the world will not the people of God obey the command of the Almighty God? A command even that the prophets had repeated over and over and over again through the years. If a family tradition was preserved in such dedication, why in the world wasn't the very law of God treated with the same respect? See, obeying Jonadab's words had really only a limited significance, really. But obeying God's word has an eternal one. It's sad, isn't it, how often God's people are put to shame by the devotion and discipline of people who don't even know the Lord but are extremely loyal to their family or to their religion or their personal pursuits. So, I mean, even people who want nothing to do with the Word of God can be loyal to traditions and man-made codes and rules. Boy, if Christians were putting into spiritual practice the kind of devotion that particular athletes do, that especially professional athletes do, man, the church would be reeling in revival today. Now this morning we've covered just a chapter of the Word of God and we were introduced to this group of nomads, the Rechabites, and their devotion to their father that lived 250 to 300 years before. And they were still obeying the Word of Jonadab. And this morning, I want to point out three simple thoughts concerning fathers from this passage. And I trust they'll inspire us to be better dads, better fathers. And so from the passage, I'm going to note three simple things. One, we're going to note a father's instruction. Two, a father's influence. And three, a father's impact. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll continue. Father, we thank you for this time together. We're asking you to speak to our hearts, to work in our lives. Thank you for the dads that are here. And we want to honor them today and we want to encourage them today to be everybody, everything that you would have them to be. Bless us and meet our needs. And Lord, the truth is, is that, Father, many of the principles we'll share are certainly applicable to all of us. So, Lord, may we listen intently with spiritual ears that we may bring honor to you. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. So we see a father's instruction right off the bat in verses 6 and 7. We notice there in our passage that he made some specific recommendations and commands to the, the people. He said, we will not drink no, uh, they said, we will not drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, ye shall drink no wine, neither shall your sons uh, show your sons forever. Neither shall you build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any. But all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may not live many days in the land where ye be strangers. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty heavy stuff. I want you to know that Jonadab commanded his family. You say, I don't agree with what Jonadab said. It doesn't really matter. You're not the head of Jonadab's family. He is. Can I tell you, Dad, you've got something to say. 
and you need to say it. And by the way, what you say matters, Dad. It matters. By the way, the Bible even teaches us and tells us that you, Dad, are the spiritual head of your home. So what you think and what you believe does matter. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, the Bible says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. The fact is, is that we see that for a father, that he's to have his family, his, his home in order, his children in subjection with all gravity. He's to rule his house well. And can I tell you, Dad, you may feel like a fly on the wall at times, but I tell you this, you have something to say, and what you have to say matters. Because you are the God-given authority in that home. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Proverbs 4, 1 says, Hear ye, children, the instructions of a father, and attend to no understanding. Proverbs 13, 1 says, A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Proverbs 15, 5 says, A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Well, the principle is clear that in a home, dad is the authority. And he is to instruct his family. Because, see, there's coming a day when the family will go their direction, and he's praying and hoping that they'll take with them the very faith that he himself possessed. You say, now I'm a nobody. That's not true. As was already mentioned, you're the head of the home. You're the family's God-ordained leader. Your voice is important and it is absolutely necessary and needed. Let me tell you, there are so many voices in the world in which we live and those voices are clamoring for the attention of your children and mine. And can I tell you, every voice has a message. I wonder what message is loudest in your child's life today. Whose voice do they hear? It should be yours, Dad. Not the media, not their friends, not their teachers or Hollywood, not the news outlets or the bloggers or anybody else. It ought to be your voice, Dad, that they hear louder than anyone's. A father's instruction. Jonadab instructed his Family. It's interesting to note that over 230 years or 250 years later, I mean, they're still following in that realm. His children took on that, 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 those commands and they made them real in their lives. And they said, you know what, we're going to instill this same principle in our children. We're going to instill these principles in our children. And by the way, there was nothing that said you could not live in a city. There was nothing that said that you, that you could not take a little wine for the stomach's sake, so to speak. The fact was, is that Jonadab, he was the head of his home. And when he gave that command, it was to be obeyed. And they did. And when Jeremiah brings them in, he doesn't bring them in to tempt them with evil. He doesn't bring them in to say, see, their standards are better than yours. That's not what he was doing. What he was trying to say is, they obeyed their father. Why don't you obey me? That's what he was saying. But there's something to be said for good standards in a home, by the way. And a dad should set those standards. And a dad ought to hold those standards, hold people accountable to them. Because there are biblical standards, and they are very clearly outlined in most cases, very clearly. 
And by the way, there are that many thou shalts in the Bible. There are principles by which we live by as believers. And until we understand that God directs us through principle, not through I, not through thus saith the Lord. Go, thus saith the Lord. You'll go to church three times a week. Thus saith the Lord. That's not in the Bible. But he does say, forsake not the assembling of ourselves. That's a principle that we adhere to and we abide by. A father's instruction. Number two, a father's influence. Look at verse eight. A father's influence. Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, and all that he hath charged us to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters. Verse 10, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. In verse 14, we note that it's being recorded here, the words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, He says, are performed, for unto this day they drink none, but obey their father's commandment. I don't know about you, but that seems like a lot of influence has been exerted here. Now, for 250 to 300 years, we're still doing exactly what Jonadab told his son to do, and his son told his sons to do, and his son told his sons to do. It's amazing, isn't it? That's influence. His words were long in the grave, but they lived on in the lives of his offspring. Now that's influence. That's generational influence. Now again, we often, most often too, by the way, underestimate our influence. Very few people realize the influence that they have. And honestly, I think it starts, I mean, if you, honestly, I... I, this is crazy. I do not feel that I have the influence that other people sometimes think I have. And you know what? You probably feel the same way many times. You think to yourself, well, wait a second. I'm not that important. What I have to say is not really that, you know, vital. But you know what? You have influence. Dad, you especially have influence in that home. You've got something to say, as we mentioned already. And you know what? What you say does matter. The key is to ensure that what we say is what really matters, though. I mean, we can influence our children for good or evil, for right or wrong. I think you'd be surprised how much your children pick up along the way if you slow down long enough to listen or watch. And you and I may be clueless to it, but I'll tell you right now, they're tuned in. The American poet, philosopher, Ralph Waldo Emerson, he made the statement, he said, every man is a hero and an oracle to somebody. And to that person, whatever he says has an enhanced value. Oh, I'm nothing. Nobody cares what I have to say. Man, in my house, I never do the talking. I just sit in the corner and listen to it. I'm going to tell you something right now. You need to speak up. You have something to say. You need to say it. A father's impact. I mean, excuse me, a father's influence. Years ago, 
I, you know, and, and for years, I, I've often tried to stay in shape, obviously. I, it's quite clear, I was, you know, to tell that. I've tried to stay in shape through the years, and when I was younger, I used to run a lot more. I don't run anymore. I'm not able to run as much like I used to. And um, someone says, well, you ought to. I know, well, I can't. So I would if I could. But uh, now, if I'm being chased, I'll run. But otherwise, I won't run. But, but nonetheless, I, I, uh, I used to work out, and um, I'd run from time to time. And, and again, I, I, I did all that stuff. Well, uh, you know, Joshua at the time, he was about two years of age, and uh, he was just a young feller. And uh, it was an, we made a remarkable discovery at that age. Two years of age in his life, we made a remarkable discovery. We realized that he'd been watching all along. One day, Sherry'd go along and she'd say, Joshua, stretch, stretch Joshua. And he would take the position and go, he's stretching. He's stretching his calves, getting ready to run. Stretch Joshua. He knew what that meant. Why? Because daddy stretched. Not as much as I should have, I'm sure. But he learned. He was watching two years of age. I still remember when we were headed on vacation and, and uh, all of a sudden we get out of the car and, and, and we were with that, for t- some particular reason we were with the whole family. And he was probably about three then. And he'd run over to the wall when he got out and he'd put his hands on the wall and he'd start stretching out. And they were like, what's he doing? He's stretching. He's a chip off the old block, man. Got myself a... Olympic athlete over here. You know, every kid's going to be an Olympic athlete, a pro athlete. You know how it is, you know. He never lived up to it. But anyway. Really, <laughs> God, such a disappointment. <laughs> I had to settle for being a preacher. But anyway. <laughs> oh, man. Because we do have that influence we got to be careful where that influence leads us, don't we? We really do. So careful. There's a story told about the impact of influence which came from the administration of President Calvin Coolidge. Over, he had an overnight guest one time in the White House, and of course, um, he wanted to make a good impression on Calvin Coolidge, and uh, they were having breakfast in the morning. And uh, he noticed that President Coolidge, he was having some, you know, coffee Served and uh, he took the coffee cup and he he poured some of the contents into a deep saucer and he added a little bit of sugar he added a little bit of cream and not wanting to breach any rules of protocol or etiquette or anything the visitor he he wanted to fit in well and so he too poured some of his coffee in there and he put some sugar and you know did all that stuff there and, and cream and he just watched him and he waited for the commander in chief's lead. He was horrified to see him place that saucer on the floor for the cat. (laughs) Again, the story just helps us to remember that influence works both ways. And can I tell you, Dad, you have influence today. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you have something to say, and they need to hear it. And that... I'm telling you, you're influencing either way, but make sure, Dad, that you're influencing in the proper direction.
Finally, a father's impact. A father's impact. In verse 18 and 19, it's amazing, really. Uh, we see how it turned out for the Rechabites. Notice it says, ultimately, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, in verse 18, and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he hath commanded you, therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. Listen, I, when you look at that passage, what, what it's really saying is this. Jonadab left a spiritual legacy. I'm telling you, his, his children and his children's children, there would always be somebody standing before God that they were going to always point toward the Lord. But what a blessing that is. His instruction and his influence paid great dividends in his household. They paved the way for generations. And if you are blessed to have children... One day those children will have children, and they will have children. And every believing parent wants to leave a legacy of faith that lives on long after they are gone from this life. A husband and a wife who walked extremely faithful and consistent left a tremendous legacy far beyond anything they could have imagined. They lived in the early 1700s in colonial America. Their names were Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. You may have heard of Jonathan Edwards. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Jonathan, he felt God's call to become a preacher. He and his young bride, of course, uh, had began the pastorate in a small congregation. And uh, during the years that followed, he wrote a number of sermons. He prayed. He wrote books. He was very influential in beginning the Great Awakening. Basically, a revival in America. Together, they produced 11 children who grew up into adulthood. Sarah was a partner in her husband's ministry. I mean, the two of them worked side by side. I mean, they served the Lord together. They spent time talking about the work of God. They, they addressed the ministry consistently and constantly. And when their children were old enough, they included their children in those conversations. The effects of the Edwards lives on far beyond their lifetime, however. The most remarkable results of their faithfulness to God's call is found in their descendants. Elizabeth Dodds records a study done by A.E. Winship in 1900 in which lists a few of the accomplishments of the 1,400 Edwards descendants he was able to find. Out of those 1,400, 100 lawyers and a dean of a law school came out. 80 holders of public office, 66 physicians and a dean of a medical school, 65 professors of colleges and universities, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors of large cities, three governors of states, three United States senators, one controller of the United States Treasury, one vice president of the United States, not to mention many, many more who, she, who, who, who he could not even track down. I wonder, what kind of legacy will you and I leave? What kind of legacy will we, you and I, you and your spouse, leave? Will it be a lasting legacy? Jonadab left a lasting legacy. I don't know what he expected, but when he was ahead of his house and he made these statements, 
I don't know where he stood, but I got to believe he expected his own children at least to follow through while they were living in his household. And by the way, in those days, as a nomadic tribe, they lived in the household for years and years and years. And their children were born, and they followed and traveled together, and they learned the same principles, and they learned the same truths, and they applied them to their lives, and they talked them to their children, and to their children, and to their children. And now, 250 years later or more, the legacy lives on. I'd like to think in 200 years from now, the O'Donnell clan would still be serving the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. They'd still believe in a King James Bible. They'd still go to a fundamental Baptist church. I'd like to believe that. And I pray and hope that's the case. What kind of legacy will you leave? Will it be lasting? In our passage, we found a few things. A father's instruction. A father's influence. A father's impact. I believe Jonadab was passionate about what he believed. And what he taught. Are you passionate, Dad, about what you believe? And I pray and hope that it's the right things because ultimately you can lead your children in the wrong direction if you're passionate about the wrong things. So may God help us to be passionate about the things that God is passionate about. I believe that he was convinced that his instruction would positively impact the future of his family. Again, Dad, you have something to say, now say it. Instruct your children. Never forget, influence works both ways, however, good or bad, but you have influence. And so bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and leave a legacy, a legacy of faith for your children. Pave the way for generations to come. You may still say, you know, I don't know. I just don't, I don't have much to say. And trust me, I don't have much influence, preacher. I'm telling you, you got the wrong man. Well, Sarah Bullock, she won the 2010 Best Actress Academy Award for a portrayal of a lady by the name of Leanne Tui in a movie that was called The Blind Side. The film chronicled a Christian family who took in a homeless young fellow who, and gave him a chance to reach his God-given potential. Michael Orr not only dodged the, homeless, uh, the helplessness of his dysfunctional upbringing, but he ultimately became a first-round NFL draft pick for the Baltimore Ravens in 2009. At a recent fundraiser, Sean Tuohy, the husband, noted that the transformation of his family and Michael all started with two words. Two words. When they spotted Michael walking along the road on a cold November morning, although the movie shows it at night, by the way, it was really the morning, they found him walking down that street with just a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. Leanne Tui uttered two words that changed their world and his. Turn around! They turned the car around. They put Michael in that warm vehicle. And they ultimately adopted him as their own. Can I tell you, those same two words can change anyone's life. Whatever your situation is, a great storage, story of change can come about because of two words, turn around.
Today is a day to turn around maybe for you, sir. You say, I have no influence. I'm a big zero. and nobody in my home, my wife, my children. They just kind of, life goes on without me. I sit in the corner. I go to my man cave. Burn it down if you have to. But you have something to say. You're responsible as the God-given authority in your home to instruct your children, to influence your children, and to impact their lives forever. Turn it around today. Make a decision to say, today's the day. I'm going to turn around and get it started in the right direction, doing the things that I know honor Christ and ultimately leave a legacy for my family. It all begins with a personal relationship with Christ. Everything that Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross, he did for you. The Bible says he was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible tells us in Revelation twenty two seventeen. And the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Can I tell you that it all begins in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself who became a man and took your place on Calvary in my place. Because you and I were so unworthy, we were such sinners, so vile and wretched before a holy God. And yet God in heaven, being perfect and holy, came himself and became a man and literally died in the place of his creation. For the wages of sin is death. Can I tell you, the only way you and I can pay for our sin is to be eternally separated from God in a place called the lake of fire. There is no way to avoid it. There's no way to escape except it be through Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Every gift has a price. Somebody has to pay the price for the gift. The gift of eternal life is a wonderful gift, but can I say it came at a great cost? Not to you, 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 or me, but to Jesus as he hung on Calvary, naked between heaven and earth, enduring the shame, the pain, and the agony. He endured it willingly. He said he laid down his life willingly for you because he loved you that much. And it all begins with him and you. Amen. I'm going to turn over a new leaf in my home. Don't do it without Jesus, please. Turn around for sure, but first turn to the Savior and allow Him to save your soul, to forgive your sin, to guarantee you a home in heaven, and then follow Him as He leads you and guides you through the Word of God and through those He'll put in your pathway, preachers and teachers and others. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for the simplicity of your word. And we know, Lord, that as fathers, 
we need to be very careful to be instructing our families to influence and impact them in the right way. Father, may, not, may there not be one father here that leaves feeling as though they are no longer empowered. May they leave empowered, ready to turn around if they have to and say, I'm going to do things God's way. I'm going to take my place at the head of the table, so to speak. I'm going to rule my family well. I'm going to give them instruction and I'm going to influence them in the things of God. I'm going to impact their lives in a positive way and hopefully an eternal way. Now, Father, bless us today. We thank you for all you've done for us and all you do. And Lord, today there may be those that are without Christ in our midst. I pray they would not leave without first turning to you and seeing your goodness and your grace and mercy and receiving and accepting your son. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.